Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hi, Adapters. Welcome back to another exciting and very unique episode of America Adapts. In this episode, I'm talking with Ariel Gold, Olympic medal winner from the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympic Games. Ariel came on to share her Olympic stories, her history in snowboarding, and why she's now a spokesperson for Protect Our Winters, which is seeking to mobilize the outdoor community to take action on climate change. Yes, this isn't my typical adaptation guest, but that's what's so exciting. These new voices that are emerging to take on this issue. We also talk about the role of famous athletes taking on climate change and why there have been so few of them. This was a fun episode. How often do you get to mix climate change, the Olympics, and snowboarding? All right, some brief housekeeping. I've mentioned before, but you can now listen to the podcast on Alexa. In my show notes, there's a YouTube video that shows you how to do that. It's not as easy as it sounds. Also, you can now listen to the podcast on Google's new podcast app, Google Podcasts. Welcome to the show, Google. It's about time. And as always, you can listen on Spotify. Also, there's a new climate change-themed channel on Roku and Amazon called Climate Monitor. They are now sharing America Adapts episodes on the channel. So yes, you can listen to the podcast on TV. Also take a look at the other awesome content that they have on that channel. You always hear me saying I'm working on some future episode. And it's true, I am always working on some future episode. Adaptation, unfortunately, is a growth industry. So I just want to share that the last couple weeks, it's really been an amazing opportunity for me. I'm working with World Wildlife Fund on another series of episodes. One is about floods. It'll be a three-part series, and I'm talking with experts around the world. And I'm also doing one on how you integrate adaptation into existing conservation strategies. This is not an easy thing to do. So in the past two weeks, I've Skyped with adaptation experts from WWF from Vietnam, South Africa, Uganda, Mexico, and even Madagascar. And I'm hearing their stories of what it's like to be doing adaptation in those parts of the world. This is an amazing field we're in and it's critical we share our successes and, well, you know, our failures too. I'm very excited to share these stories from around the world in the not-too-distant future. I feel very lucky to be able to hear from all these different voices in the adaptation universe. Remember, we are all part of this emerging field. It's very sobering, but it's also very exciting, and I hope the podcast continues to be a platform to bring all these things together. Okay, some shout-outs. First off, big shout-out to longtime listener Doc Goodwell, who runs a great climate blog, The Climate Advisor. He's compiled a list of the best climate podcasts, and he did a nice plug for America Daps. There are quite a few more on his list, so check it out. I have a link in my show notes. I appreciate all the plugs that the podcast gets on social media. Thanks, Kate, for the Twitter plug, and a big thanks to Climate Nexus for regularly plugging the podcast. Speaking of which, Nexus is sponsoring me to visit New Orleans to participate in this super cool bus tour that they are doing to create awareness around climate adaptation and mitigation. I am joining the New Orleans segment of the tour and will be recording with some folks at a town hall, well, a couple town hall meetings that they're organizing. So more on that soon. All right, just a reminder, America Daps is a charitable organization that needs your support. Please consider giving a tax-deductible donation. You can find links to the We Did It donate page in the show notes. I ask this every episode, and the people that are donating, it's been greatly appreciated. Think about it. $5, $10 recurring donation a month? You spend that much on a latte. So how about a little love for America Daps? Also, if you are interested in sponsoring a specific podcast or having me speak at a public or corporate event, please reach out. 
I share stories from the podcast, but also my own experiences and adaptation. I've been doing it for a while. You can contact me via the website americadapts.org. Okay, adapters, buckle up and take your vertigo meds. Let's have a chat with snowboarding champ Ariel Gold. Hey, welcome back, adapters. On today's very exciting episode, I am hosting U.S. Olympic medalist Ariel Gold. It's my first Olympian. Ariel is a snowboarder who won a bronze medal in the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympic Games. Ariel is on the podcast representing the group Protect Our Winters. Welcome to the podcast, Ariel. It's a real treat to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. First off, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Protect Our Winters, but very interested in what you did as an Olympian, too. And I think that can merge really nicely into the work that you're doing with Protect Our Winters. But congrats on winning that bronze medal. I think that's so cool. And where is that medal right now? My medal is actually, as cliche as it sounds, it is sitting in my sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> why, why? I mean, so you're not just someone to put it in the middle of the fireplace or anything like that. You're content with it being in the sock drawer. No, I'm living in a college house, so uh, I definitely am kind of keeping it protected. I feel like that's the safest place to have it. Um, if I take it places, I've I've gotten a lot of really cool opportunities over the past several months to go to some events and I'll take it with me to those events. But as soon as I'm home, it's straight back to the sock drawer. I love it. Okay. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where do you kind of start the snowboarding? I'm from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And so you just pretty much stayed there, your, grew up there your whole life, and that's where you picked up snowboarding. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Steamboat. Um, I actually started out skiing when I was three years old. My parents put me on a pair of skis. And I have an older brother who is two and a half years older than me. And when he turned seven years old, he decided that he wanted to try snowboarding. And he absolutely loved it when he first tried it. So a couple of years later, when I turned seven, I decided I wanted to give it a try myself and never looked back. Right. So that transition to skis to snowboarding, that, that was pretty easy for you. It was relatively easy. I mean, it definitely wasn't something that I picked up instantly. There were, I remember in particular, my first day on a snowboard, I was extremely frustrated because I already knew how to ski. So I was like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I remember falling on my butt a lot the first couple of days, but once I got the hang of it, I started to really enjoy it. So I don't have a culture of snow sports. I grew up mainly in Florida in tropical areas. And so I just, I've gone skiing once in my life and I regret that, <laughs> but I mean, truly I do. My wife doesn't let us ever go to ski vacations and maybe you can help with that. But would you say snowboarding is more dangerous than skiing or are there kind of similarities in, in the danger of either sport? I would say they're really similar. I mean, snowboarding and free skiing have actually come together quite a bit, especially since I started snowboarding. When I when I first started snowboarding, really the gateway to doing freestyle events such as halfpipe and slope style was primarily through snowboarding. It didn't become as popular in skiing until a bit more recently. So I definitely would say in terms of risk, they're both pretty comparable at this point. Just lots of risks. And I'm sure you give your parents heartburn. Do they have a tradition of skiing and snowboarding? Yeah. So my dad actually used to be um, a professional mogul skier. So that was his oh. big thing that brought him to the mountains. And now they both just ski recreationally and they love to come to our events. My mom is uh, a little more nervous when she's watching us than my dad is. She's uh she has a history of actually going into the porta potty at some events and hiding in the porta potty during <laughs> our runs. So, <laughs> oh, I would be a nervous wreck. I have two children, fourteen and nine, and I get nervous when they get on a diving oh, yeah. board. And you're out there doing these quadruple flips. Yes, I'm sure. 
So what are you doing right now? I, th- I think you're you're in school right now, right? Yeah, I'm actually currently living in Boulder and taking classes at the University of Colorado. I just finished up a summer online class that I was taking and I'm actually meeting with my advisor tomorrow to hopefully figure out a fall schedule that's going to work for me. Well, I'm sure that being an Olympic medalist keeps you busy in, in any number of ways. But Boulder, what a fabulous town, one of my favorite cities in the world. So you're, you're very lucky. Yeah, I absolutely love living in Boulder in the summer. This is, I believe, my third summer in a row that I've been living in Boulder, and I absolutely love coming down here. Okay, so I want to jump into a bit of your Olympic experience. You were at the Pyeongchang Olympics, and this was just last year. Could you just kind of describe that process, you know, leading up to it? I guess you had to make the cut as a snowboarder to get to the Olympics, and you did that. But I mean, what were the Olympics like? And, you know, I guess you can't go into too much detail, but what what, what, what could you sort of describe that? Most of us don't ever go to Olympics. Right. I mean, qualifying for this Olympics was extremely intensive. The qualifying process always is I was fortunate to actually go through the qualifying process in 2014, and that was actually my first Olympics, was in Sochi, Russia. Um, And I unfortunately got injured in Sochi, didn't really have the conditions that I was hoping for. So obviously coming into this Olympic Games, I was really hoping to kind of get back on the horse and get a little bit of redemption. And just going through the whole process again, having done it before, I knew exactly what to expect, and it just made it that much less stressful for me. Pyeongchang was incredible. They did an amazing job organizing the entire games, you know, just from transportation to the actual venue. The the venue was one of the best half pipes I've ever ridden before. So I think it was really what, kind of the experience that I was hoping my first Olympics would be. So to be able to come back and have another opportunity after kind of having to you know, sit with that frustration for the last four years is exactly what I needed. So what were your expect expectations? Were you just like, okay, I've got a medal or that's beyond your wildest dreams that you would medal? I mean, I just don't know enough about snowboarding. I was kind of trying to tamper my expectations. I mean, there were some events this season that I rode the best I've ever ridden and some events that didn't go too great. So, I mean, I, I worked really hard this year and that was kind of the biggest thing is I knew that regardless of how this Olympics went, I just wanted to lay it all out there and do everything that I possibly could to make sure that I don't have any regrets. Just again, congratulations. I'm sure that moment that, you know, we just see on TV that you're up there on the stage and getting the medals that that must have been very satisfying for you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was exactly what I needed. I obviously just landing the run that I landed that ended up um, giving me the bronze medal was a huge accomplishment in itself. It was one of the best runs I've done in my life. And beyond that, it was definitely a pretty crazy experience to actually be standing on the podium, um, singing the national anthem. That's something that I've dreamed of ever since I started snowboarding. So to have it become reality was one of the best moments of my life. That is so awesome. All right. So I'm going to transition a little bit about climate change. It's like, when's he going to start talking climate change? <laughs> this, another snowboarding question is that you guys, and first off, snowboarding Obviously, it's the coolest sport in the Winter Olympics. I'm sure some people disagree, but it really is. You, you, you're lucky in that sense, and they have a great spokesperson. You, you are a snowboarder. Now, you do all these amazing moves, but I'm just curious. Is there a particular move that you would love to do that you just haven't done yet? You know, I'm thinking like Triple Lindy. I mean, what <laughs> is there some major move that you would love to do and you're not sure you'll ever do? I would say the, the biggest move that is, has kind of been on my mind that I would say I'm relatively close to trying is a double cork of some sort. That's uh, essentially two flips. There's a lot of different variations of double corks. And not many women snowboarders have learned how to do them just yet. Tora Bright was the first woman snowboarder to do a double cork in the half pipe. 
And one of my teammates, Matty Mastro, actually just learned to double cork this past spring. So um, without question, women are capable of doing it. And I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more in practice. So if I want to keep up with the curve, I'm definitely going to have to learn one in the near future. And, and it, you, it, again, this is you called it a double cork, yes. right? All right. I'm going to link to a YouTube video of a double cork on my show notes just so people can know exactly what you're talking about. That's oh, I'm getting nervous <laughs> just thinking visually in the air. And I'm not like a, a wimp about things, but you guys, you snowboarders, you know, you're different. <laughs> you got different genes. All right. So you alluded to the, how the Pyongyang games were hosted like they did a really great job and i want to kind of merge this uh, into the sochi games that in russia as you probably and, and again I, I want you to contrast this like your involvement now with protect our winters with what you were doing at the time in russia but they got a ton of attention leading up to the olympics that they weren't going to have enough snow that the the climate was just not right for it and, and all these things were aligning that you know would the olympics even happen did you hear that sort of chatter? Was that something that you were even reading about and thinking about? I definitely was paying some attention to it. I uh, I was fortunate to grow up in a household that I kind of had that um, awareness for climate change, awareness for really just taking care of the planet throughout my childhood. So it's always been something that I've tried to pay attention to. And obviously, when I was younger, just trying to do minor things such as recycling, picking up trash if I see it on the streets. So I definitely was paying attention to that. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of buzz coming around every Olympics. You know, the the bigger stories are more so about the negative things that they're expecting rather than the positives. So um, it was something that I was definitely thinking about going into that Olympics, but I was trying not to pay too much attention to the buzz because at a certain point, you kind of just have to focus on your event and do whatever you can. I guess even when you arrived there and you're going up to the slopes, was that an issue at all when you're kind of been walking around saying, gosh, there's not much sl snow or it's slush? Or did they do a pretty good job where you guys were actually competing and, and maintain the snow at a level that you needed? It was tough to tell when we first arrived just because we flew into the actual city. So we weren't quite in the mountains yet. So obviously we weren't seeing much snow because we had quite a bit of elevation gain just to get up to the athlete village and where we would actually be competing. It wasn't until our first day of practice that we got up there and realized that the conditions were going to be more challenging than we thought. Um, it was actually around 60 degrees for our first day of practice. And I remember going up there and kind of doing the first run through the half pipe. And it was it felt like a summer half pipe, essentially. You know, when we go and train in like Mount Hood, Oregon, it can be upwards of 60 degrees. And it's just an extremely soft consistency that doesn't tend to hold up very well when people ride on it. Now, if you can contrast the Pyeongchang games versus the Sochi games, what about climate change? Do you feel, and I guess what you were describing, you know, there's sort of this negative buzz building at Sochi about the uh, the snow conditions, but did the Russians even talk about it when you were there? And did the Koreans talk about it? Was it, was it something like an ethic that they were even trying to bring up or was, was everything just sort of, we want everything to be perfect. We don't want to talk about anything negative. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there were a lot of references to climate change in particular when we were in Sochi. Um, there was definitely an awareness that the conditions were not what they needed to be. They were kind of doing everything that they possibly could to try and preserve what little snow they had from spraying these blue chemicals on the snow before our practices, um, using salt as well to kind of help the snow hold up. Really just doing whatever they could to preserve the half pipe in Sochi which was actually a really stark contrast. My first day in Pyeongchang, actually in the Olympic Village, it was three degrees Fahrenheit. So we were running between the dining hall and our dorms because it was so cold outside. 
So this total roller coaster and conditions and where you're at and everything. Yeah, I would say it's more it's more the inconsistencies. It's not necessarily as much consistently warmer temperatures as just inconsistencies in general within the temperature. I mean, fortunately, the temperature picked up enough in Pyeongchang that it wasn't totally miserable to compete. Although I've definitely talked to a lot of people who were spectating and they said that they were definitely pretty chilly. I want to get to the work that you're doing with Protect Our Winters. First off, what is Protect Our Winters? Protect Our Winters is an organization that was founded by a professional snowboarder named Jeremy Jones. And essentially, Jeremy, I think, has always had a passion for climate change and really just wanted to use his platform and also encourage other athletes to use their platform to have a positive impact in and around the snowboarding community and the winter sports community in general. So um, basically what Jeremy did in founding Protect Our Winners is kind of create a material, I guess a structure essentially for athletes to be able to come together and use their platforms to have a positive impact. You know, being a professional athlete myself, that's always something I've admired other athletes for doing is, you know, using whatever voice they have to have a positive impact, whether it's um, in their sport or, you know, in the lives of other people. So I was fortunate to be able to find Protect Our Winters. And really, they just give me the platform that I need and encourage me to do whatever I can to have my own impact. Um, you, you said finding them. So you actually reached out to them or do they reach out to you? I'm just curious on how they sort of even explain what they did, because you, you said you've had just a, a lifelong environmental ethic. But, yeah, how did that sort of actual meeting occur? I actually ended up reaching out to them. You know, a lot of the uh, women's snowboarders and men's snowboarders that I compete with had been kind of working with Protect Our Winters for several years. Gretchen Blyler was actually one of the main uh, women's snowboarders who were kind of spearheading that movement. So. I remember talking to her quite a bit about it. And, you know, really, they've just had kind of an ever-growing presence in the snowboarding community. So it wasn't hard to kind of figure out what I could do to work with them. And they're always extremely excited to bring new people into the Climate Alliance. So it was definitely really easy to kind of jump right into things. Oh, I'm sure they were thrilled to, to have you interested in what, what they're doing. I was looking at the list of athletes on it. And, yeah, it's quite a diverse group of folks, too. It Every organization should be blessed to have such spokespeople. And on that note, what do they have you do? You go on podcasts, I get that. But what else are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I actually up until this summer, I hadn't done really as much work as I was hoping to. I mean, I, I've been as involved at whatever capacity I've been able to between my uh, crazy schedule and yeah, just trying to work around everything, which is what is so great about them is they're completely understanding when I don't have time to contribute as much as I'd like to. But when I do, they always have new things for me to work on. So one of the things that I actually started out doing with them that I really enjoy doing is uh, speaking at local schools. Um, it's called a Hot Planet Cool Athletes. And they essentially reach out to local schools in the Colorado area and have athletes like myself or other professional athletes go to these schools and essentially do an entire presentation to the kids at the schools and just try to get them excited about doing what they can to protect our planet and really just kind of educate them in a way that's, you know, friendly and just gets them excited. Yeah. And so to me, the how you deliver the message, I'm sure Protect Our Winners, they have probably some sort of pipeline. Oh, I use pipeline um, <laughs> of, of science that they they want to 
present to you in a format that I guess is useful to you as you're communicating to the public that needs to be sound science, need to be talking about climate change. And so often when you start talking about climate change, it gets negative really quickly. And I'm just curious, as you're communicating with these, even with school groups or just public groups, as you said, you I think there's an optimistic spin to it. But what are some of the key messages that you're delivering with Protect Our Winners is we might not be able to ski again. Is that one of the messages or what What are you literally saying to folks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely one of the bigger talking points, uh, especially talking to kids in Colorado. You know, they, they love skiing and snowboarding. So that's something that we tend to kind of lean on pretty heavily um, because that really is what brings the connection together for them. You know, Protect Our Winners does a great job putting together PowerPoints that we go off of. So it's actually a visual presentation while we're talking to the kids as well. And the way that they do it is just really friendly for people of all ages. It's a way of, you know, getting people to understand how serious this issue is, but also, you know, encouraging them to do what they can, do their part, and, you know, not being too negative. All right, here's kind of, let's see if how you can answer this question. So I'm just curious, and I I know your your environmental ethic, and, and I get that, but just your own relationship with other snowboarders. And then, again, this is just people probably not familiar with the culture of snowboarding. What is the relationship of snowboarders in the environment? And so what I mean is, like, you look at rock climbers. There's a sort of stewardship of the environment that's kind of inherited in their culture. But then maybe if you look at ATV riders, and not to knock the ATV riders, but it's more about using the resource. How would you describe the culture of snowboarders? I would say we're a pretty diverse group. I mean, I think everyone in the industry is aware of the fact that we need to take care of the planet. I mean, we rely so heavily on the snow and we've all done enough traveling to understand that um, some places are struggling with these temperatures more than others. And I think, you know, all of us have that shared passion for snowboarding and know that we need to do whatever we can to try and be as eco-friendly as possible. I mean, even if it's just you know, not necessarily even harping as much on the climate change aspect as just really taking care of the planet in general, whether it's, you know, picking up trash and, you know, small things like that, that you don't necessarily have to be a climate change advocate to believe in living on a cleaner planet. Yeah, very true. What about this, I guess, the the ski industry? If you think about just uh, all the different, the mountains where people ski, do you feel like the, the, the private side of the, the equation, have they been involved? Are they partners in what you try to do? I would say so. I mean, I definitely think that it's a shared goal. The ski industry in particular, I would say, is, you know, very inclined to do whatever they can to protect the planet. I mean, like I said, we all thrive on being outside. So even if it's not as climate change based, I think it's just doing whatever's possible to try and be as eco-friendly as possible. There's There's a lot of resorts that are getting involved and uh, Protect Our Winners actually does a great job of kind of connecting these people together. So that's why I'm excited to work with them. And I know you're not literally on the staff of Protect Our Winters. And so this podcast, and we chatted a little bit about this before, I, I, I do focus a lot on how we adapt to climate change. And do you feel with Protect Our Winters, I know that they're looking at solving the there's a bigger issue of like we have to deal with climate change or we're going to have these real negative impacts. But no matter what we do, there's going to be some warming in and we're going to have to adapt to it. Has that been any of the conversations you've had with Protect Our Winters or the information that they want you to share with the public? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely part of their mission statement. I mean, with with where we're at right now, I don't think, obviously, like you said, it's not necessarily that we're going to be able to reverse uh, the impacts that we've had as much as ideally try and slow them and stop them from 
getting any further along. And I mean, I think Protect Our Winners is totally aware of that. And, you know, right now they're more so about just trying to offset all of our footprints more so than reverse the whole equation. I would, I, I would say, you know, for someone like me who I travel constantly. So that's something that I'm completely aware of is my ecological footprint I know is larger than others just because of the amount of traveling that I do. So one of the things that I try and communicate with them about is, you know, different ways of kind of making transportation more eco-friendly and really just trying to offset my own carbon footprint is kind of one of my biggest goals with them because I'm aware that I'm doing it just as much as others. And I think that that's kind of what they're more about is just getting people to recognize their own carbon footprint and do whatever possible to offset it as much as they can. Well, just I want to keep encouraging you to travel as much as often. I know the whole issue of the carbon footprint of pe- people, especially prominent people like you who are out there. It, if they, have, <laughs> I guess the logic behind it is like they just want you to stay home and not go out there and promote your mission, and that's not doing anyone good on the climate change side. And this is sort of a bigger conversation that's happening in the environmental movement. Is just, I totally agree. If they can mitigate your carbon footprint, great. But some people are like, you shouldn't travel at all, and I totally disagree with that. You, you could just go in your closet and not have any influence whatsoever. Right. And I'm totally on my soapbox right now, but I mean, there's this notion of like you shouldn't travel. Well, some people need to travel, and we just have to live with that right now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think really what they're focusing on is just bringing awareness in general. Um, That's the biggest thing. I mean, especially for someone like me who up until this summer, I really didn't have a whole lot of experience speaking to this stuff. And it's still a complete learning process for me. So, you know, I try not to go out there and preach to people that they need to stop doing the things that they love to offset their footprint. It's, you know, it's more so about just finding a way to compromise and do what they can and just having more awareness than maybe they might have once had. All right. This might be sort of an odd question too, but uh, l- looking at your experience with Protect Our Winter, and you've probably learned a bunch and just the people that you've met and what they, the information that they give you, if you could go back and do anything different I, at either of the previous Olympics, you know, Korea or Russia, knowing what you know now with Protect Our Winters, I mean, I know you have to have your kind of game face on when you're snowboarding, but would you have done anything different? Would you have tried to do outreach? And I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'm just, you've, you've probably come a long way since those games. And uh, would you have, would you do anything different? I think I would have just tried to be more proactive, um, really just leading up to my first Olympics. Um, Although I was aware of it, I wasn't necessarily as involved as I wanted to be. Um, I think I may have actually joined the Climate Change Alliance before my first Olympics, but really wasn't involved to any capacity. And, you know, my first Olympics, seeing the conditions in Sochi is really what kind of lit the fire. So I think if anything, it would just be kind of getting more active earlier and also just educating myself more. And that's still something that a lot of times I spend time thinking about, especially with some of these bigger opportunities that I've had is just that. I need to continue educating myself on this sort of stuff because uh, although I do what I can in practice and uh, just try and obviously offset whatever footprint I have, I know that there's also a lot that I can improve on even just in terms of speaking to climate change because it obviously still is a really controversial issue and I just really want to be as knowledgeable as possible when I'm speaking about it. Well, I think it's fabulous as an athlete that you're doing it. And as you know, athletes have such an influence on society and you know, corporations hire athletes to do things. 
And we probably, can you think of like other prominent athletes that are talking out on climate change besides people in your group, but really big names, basketball players, football players, you can you think of any? I mean, I can't at the top of my head right now. No, I can't either. And I mean, I think that's one of the bigger things is although some of those athletes may believe in climate change, I think that it's not as uh, at the forefront of their minds because they don't rely as heavily on the environment as we do. Obviously, snow sports are probably the most at risk out of any sports when it comes to climate change. So I think, you know, while there are some amazing things that these football players and basketball players are doing, I definitely don't see that coming up quite as frequently as I do in kind of the snow sports community. And I don't even necessarily hold the athletes responsible for this because a lot of them aren't even thinking about it. I think a lot of on the environmental side, they, they lack the imagination of who the proper spokespeople would be. I lived in Australia for a few years, and this was like 15 years ago, and there was like this big billboard, and you know, rugby is huge over there, and these professional rugby players were on this billboard, and it was something related to like reducing your carbon footprint, and I was just dumbfounded. It was like rugby players. It was doing a climate change-related sort of promotion, and right. yeah, we, we I think environmentalists need to do some outreach to sort of unconventional spokespeople, and I'm thrilled to death that you as an athlete are making this a priority. Yeah, I mean, actually, now that I'm thinking on it, the one athlete that I have met um, who is not involved in the snow sports community, who is a huge advocate, um, her name is Mary Harvey. She's a former professional soccer player, and she actually won an Olympic gold medal, and she's since retired. But I actually did a talk with her at a CU Boulder climate change conference. It was actually through the Pac-12. It was just on CU's campus, and that was around a month ago and she is super passionate about climate change. So it was really cool to see because she had done a lot of traveling. So she shared similar experiences to me in the sense of seeing all these different places and how they've been affected. But obviously it it didn't affect her sport nearly as much as it's affected mine. So it's cool that she still has so much awareness for that. Yeah, the more the the better on that. And it would be great if you just think of the super, super stars like a Serena Williams or Tom Brady, totally unrelated with their sports, but they just say, you know what, climate change is this massive issue and let's start dealing with it. You know what, we, we need to start thinking about it. I think we environmentalists have kind of written those folks off as being spokespeople and I think we need to rethink those kind of things because – you know, not to knock Al Gore. Al Gore's been a hero of mine, but you know, he doesn't capture a lot of young people's imaginations like some of these athletes do. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there's definitely a disconnect with younger people and politics in general. Even I am still a bit more disconnected than I probably should be, but um, I really do think that sports bring people together and some of these higher profile athletes. I mean, unfortunately, the snow sports community isn't quite as high level or I guess quite as talked about as other sports, such as football. Obviously, everybody knows who Tom Brady is, um, but not as many people know who Sean White is. And Sean White's the highest profile professional snowboarder that there is. So I definitely think to get some of these um, upper level athletes in other sports would obviously be huge. And I definitely think that there is a way to get them involved. I think you know, they're kind of, they don't really have as much of a platform as we do because it isn't as big of a concern in you know, football as it is in snowboarding. So we're just fortunate to have a group like Protect Our Winters who really brings us together. Well, listen, I'm not in snow, no sports, but I know who Sean is, right? You know, he's a superstar. So yeah, yep. um, if he gets out in front of an issue, then that that's fabulous. All right. I just have a few more questions for you. Now, for people listening, 
to you here and wanting to learn more about protect our winters, what sort of advice would you have for them? They're not all necessarily going to see you speak on these issues, but is, is there anything that they can do to engage or their resources on, I guess, websites that would be useful for people? Yeah. So protect our winters actually has a website. They are at protectourwinters.org and their website is great because it has tons of resources. Um, they actually literally have a button that says take action. So you can click that button on their website. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that they encourage people to contribute. And some of them are as simple as calling or messaging your governor or someone who's in a p- position of power in your area. And um, different stuff like that is really what's important, especially with kind of the elections that are going on uh, throughout the states right now. I think that's kind of what they're really focusing on is just trying to get people to educate themselves as much as possible and vote accordingly. And what about you? So I go to conferences and, you know, scientific conferences and the organizers feel obligated to, you know, not to knock all this, the keynote speakers, but a lot of times they're just a scientist that isn't actually very interesting, but doing important work. But what if they want to recruit someone like you? You would be sort of a, a non-traditional person to speak at a, a big science conference. Are you up for that? And how would they go about doing that? Yeah, that's something that I've actually been a lot more interested in. Um, that's something that I've started to do a lot more this summer. I actually just got an opportunity um, to speak at a climate change conference in Argentina, and that oh, was nice. through Protect Our Winters. But unfortunately, I won't be able to go because I'll be at my first training camp of the season. Um, but that's something that I'm really excited about having the chance to do is starting to do more and more of these speaking opportunities and It's been a great learning experience for me. So I would say the way that's been working great for people to reach out to me has been just through Protect Our Winters, um, messaging them via their website. And most of them actually have just requested an athlete in general because we have so many incredible athletes who are willing to do talks like this. And they've actually been kind of redirecting a lot of these opportunities to me. But um, I know that you can request specific athletes and they're really good at relaying those messages. Well, that'd be awesome. And I, my listeners out there, if you are doing some workshops or conference planning, consider an athlete, to, you know, even if it's a pep talk, you know, what you're talking about and what things that you're sharing, it, I think it's, it's inspiring information outside of the sort of wonky, sciencey stuff that people are overloaded with at conferences anyway. So I, I hope they do that. All right. So just a couple more questions. What's next for you in, I mean, I know you're in school, but are you planning the next Olympics? What, what's, what's in on your schedule? That's uh, that's hard to say. I mean, I've definitely I've gotten that question pretty frequently lately. And it's something that's definitely on my mind because I had such an incredible time at this past Olympics. So in theory, I think it would be amazing to go to the next one. I've always kind of had a policy of just wanting to take things year by year and just see how it goes. So I kind of think that that's what I'm going to start with is just kind of getting through the season and just trying to continue progressing my snowboarding and continue having fun. I'm uh. I'm actually about five to six months out of shoulder surgery now, so just trying to get healthy from that and uh, get excited to snowboard again. Yeah, I, I guess when you're an athlete, you just have to get in that game face mode, and you know sometimes maybe it takes even a little a bit of the joy out of it. And I would hope as a snowboarder, even when you're just practicing, it's such a cool sport that it's easy to practice. I mean, I look at swimmers or something, and you know they're just they have to go here's eight hours of swimming today. But I mean for you, it's you like to go snowboarding, and so practicing, or am I being completely naive about how intense it gets? No, it's totally true. I mean, practice should be fun, and that's something that 
um, I've always kind of tried to focus on. And last year, I was fortunate to kind of be able to actually have a lot more fun in practice. You know, initially, I thought, oh, it's an Olympic year, I was going to be nervous to start snowboarding again. But once I got into it, I ended up having probably more fun than I've ever had snowboarding and progressing faster than I have in a long time. So that's really what I'd like to take into the season, especially now that it is kind of a post-Olympic year, um, is really just to focus on having as much fun as possible. And that's usually when I ride the best. You know, I should know this, but where are the next Winter Olympics? The next Olympics are actually in Beijing, China. Oh, so Korea and then China. That's interesting that it had so two so close to each other like that, huh? Yeah. All right, so last question here. And I ask this of all my guests, if you could recommend anyone to come on the podcast to have a conversation with me, who would you recommend? Oh, wow. That is difficult to say. Um, You're meeting all sorts of fancy and interesting people. Come on. This is easy. I know. That's true. I mean, I would like to say probably, I mean, it's easy for me to kind of go to one of my snowboarding friends is probably the best way to go. Um, I would say... <laughs> Somebody else who has always been a huge inspiration for me um, is Kelly Clark, and she's someone who I grew up snowboarding with, and she's done a lot of really incredible work through snowboarding, trying to encourage younger kids to get involved in the sport. Um, and she actually just recently wrote a book called Inspired that has been, I think, a really successful book thus far. It's an autobiography about her snowboarding career and about her life in general, and I would definitely recommend it to anybody um, but she's just one of the most inspirational people in my life right now. So I think that she would be a really cool guest to have on. And so you know her, obviously, and you could make that connection if needed. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Ariel, thank you so much. Again, congratulations. And, you know, as Americans, we're, we're, we're so proud of the, you know, the work that you guys do as athletes. But thanks for coming on and sharing your message. And again, I brought you on that I just want people to know that there's such a diverse group of people working toward solving all these issues related to climate change. But thank you so much for what you do. Of course. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, Adapters, that is a wrap. What a fun and inspiring conversation with Ariel Gold. It's my first conversation with an Olympian, and I hope it's not my last. As you can see, Ariel is just hitting her stride being a spokesperson on climate change. Please take a look at the great work Protect Our Winters is doing. Those of you doing adaptation should be well served by partnering with these innovative groups that are bringing awareness around the impacts of climate change. I also hope you Adapters can see from this episode we are not alone out there. I think many of us think no one really understands what adaptation is all about. But I think when people like Ariel step out of their orbits and speak out, it benefits us all and offers more opportunities for society to understand what it means to adapt to climate change. We have a long way to go, but more and more things like this are happening and let's encourage them. Some final housekeeping. Don't forget to join the Facebook page and the Facebook community group. The group is private, but just search for America Adapts and ask to join and I will approve it right away. It's a chance to hear some insider info on the podcast and to see what other listeners are sharing on that wall. Some great conversations have come out of that group. And I hear from you guys saying that, you know, you like when I say this, but I love hearing from you. I mean it. Just say hi. If you have an idea for a guest, let me know. Seriously, it's a highlight of my week. Sarah, I'm thinking of you and that great conversation we had. And 
every week, multiple people contact me sharing ideas, sharing perspectives on podcasts, or in just to have a brainstorm with me. And they reach out to me on LinkedIn too. So I, I love that. So I'm at americadaps at gmail.com. Send me an email. All right, check out the website at americadaps.org. All this information is in those show notes. Just look down at that phone and that link to the donate page. Okay, adapters, keep up the great work. I'll see you next time.